It's it it's forty five miles west of Lincoln, Nebraska. It's okay. named after York, Pennsylvania. Okay. okay. You know, those immigrant settlers, they yeah. just they couldn't think of names, so they gave everything European names. Okay. <laughs> like my college creeds <laughs> like I'd like to tell people, I'll put this in your thing. I was born in Crete. I was born in Geneva and schooled in Crete. Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. All right. Uh, <laughs> I think I got it. All right, big city, yeah. Kansas City, how you feeling? Welcome to Center Cuts. This is episode number seven. I'm going to remember to say the date today, which is November 11th. We are here coming back to you live from the home of our producer, Chris Mowry. And we are pleased as punch to have Mr. Mark Manning with us today. How you doing, Mark? I'm doing good. Thank you. Mark is pulling some major double duty. He just finished his program as host of Wednesday Midday Medley and KKFI from 10 to 12. And we're going to put him on the other side of the microphone. You've, you've done some interviews before. I think when we first started talking about the podcast, you had just done the first one with Mannercast, right? With Manor Records? I did. I like? did. God, time's blurring. April, March, something like that? Yeah, that was like, well, this pandemic has got us all kind of mixed up in our time. Right. It, it's different, isn't it? But yeah. I remember, because the idea of the podcast was floating around in my brain, end of 2019, and then in March, talking with Jim, with Michelle Bacon about potentially doing it. I'm like, I'm going to ask Mark, I'm going to ask Mark. And then you got snatched up by those guys over at Manor Records. And I was like, I can't ask Mark now, so we'll have to wait. <laughs> Thank you for coming today. Everybody, if you don't know Mark, he is a huge advocate for not only Kansas City artists, music musicians, the community in general. He's heavily involved with school programs here. We're going to talk a little bit about his life growing up, as usual in our episodes, as well as his connections to the industry, good things, maybe some things we could work on. But as always, we're going to try to talk a little bit about a calendar. And as you know, we're still in the middle of the pandemic. Things are not getting better. And anything on your radar coming up, Mark, in the next week, two weeks, month, mm, rest of 2020? Gosh, I wish I... I'm not prepared for this question. What? Um, <laughs> no, that is not true. There was such a huge October calendar. Right. And in, into November. Right. And I think this warm weather has caused people to maybe like, let's do another weekend, you know? Stretch it out. Let's stretch it out a bit. I know this weekend is the big show for... What's it called? Thundergong. Yeah, Thundergong's Thunder rocking on Saturday. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's the 14th. I had to do a little bit of research on that, and I, I'm sorry that I do not remember the name of the organization that benefits. Uh, Steps, Steps of Faith. Thank you both. But from what I understand, it's to help amputees find prosthetics that can't find them themselves or financially afford them. Is that what that is? Yeah. So, and they're doing it as many other events this year virtually. But it's a great cause if you all have a chance. Of course, this episode will be coming out after that happens. Uh, and then I know just last weekend, you two were talking about before the show, you were involved in Apocalypse Meow. Right. Record. Do you want to talk about that just a little bit? Apocalypse Meow 13. It was done virtually. Mm-hmm. And we broadcast almost like a TV show yeah. from Record Bar, from the stage at Record Bar, thanks to them. And there were a mixture of live performances and pre-taped performances. Right, right. And so your job was and master I of ceremonies? Right. Which... I basically introduced segments and also 
reminded people of the online auction, which goes to the 28th of November. Okay. If you go to midwestmusicfound.org, you can find a link to that. And you can also find their merch. Um, they've given out $240,000 since they started. Crazy. And this year alone, they've given out like $92,000 and just COVID relief. Unreal. Separate from the, the apocalypse mm-hmm. meow is to raise money for Abby's fund, which is a specific fund to help musicians in need because of a crisis that might be caused for, you know, anything from like maybe they broke their leg mm-hmm. and they can't work that week or whatever. Sure. Um, it's just a place to help be a lifeline to somebody for a few months to help pay their rent or pay utilities or the hospital bills. I'm so glad you, everyone, now you see why Mark's our guest because he can explain all this way better than myself. How long does that go until? Is it the end of the month or like the through 28th? Through the 28th of November. Okay, through the 28th of November. The two other things on my calendars to mention, we talked about it last episode um, well, actually, it wasn't last episode because last episode was... Oh, that's right. That was with Brenton. Sorry. Uh, Raj Mahal, a new venue. Aaron Keller's been booking some performances out there. Uh, our artist, Calvin Arsenia, played there last week with Aaron. And God, there's some great footage of her just blowing the roof off uh, with the Ward family backing her. Lauren Crum is playing Saturday with Jenna and Martin. Uh, the weekend of the 21st is Trevor Turlow with Mickey P., the weekend after that, it's Mike Dillon with Stefan. I mean, there's just some unbelievable talent. It looks like a lovely venue. And then the last thing on my calendar, just to mention too, is there will be one more record store day, the Black Friday record store day, which is the 27th. Mark and I were just talking about a bunch of new artist releases. Uh, first of all, support our local record stores. It's been a challenging time for a lot of different industries. They've been trying to weather the storm. A lot of local releases will be coming out. So if you get a chance to head out here in a couple of weeks, uh, do what you can. Anything else, guys? Chris, you... I well, Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know the exact dates, but the KKFI band auction oh, is coming up in a week or so. Okay. And uh, it's a really great... It'll be on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday weekend situation where you can tune in and bid on a band. Absolutely. And then you can have that band come play your outdoor venue or you know hopefully when things get better in the pandemic it can be more flexible but i know i don't know have you ever done that before i i my finger has been close to pressing send on my credit card purchase a couple of times <laughs> i've not i choose to be I mean, a sustaining donor but you've always got a great lineup yeah there's some amazing bands and sometimes you know i got the pedal juts one time for like 350 dollars <laughs> And we just ended up having them do a show at Davies at the yeah. time, and and doing and doing it as a benefit for KKFI. So it was like a double way to help KKFI out. But it's it's really a fun, cool, unique fundraiser where bands can get bid on by listeners, and then they do a one hour concert for that winner of the bid. And uh, I don't know the exact. Dates. Yeah, I'm looking forward to right now, Mark. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm prepared. Um, now, can the I know a couple people that have done it before and they loved it. Can you pick the date that you want? I mean, you work yeah, it out with the band. Yeah, you work it out with the, you work it out with the band. Okay. And, okay. Uh, and then that way it can be beneficial to everybody. Um, okay. Because the band is donating themselves. Right. Basically where, to the cause. And then where can people get that information? KKFI.org? Yeah, I'm looking for it on KKFI.org right now. And it's, I don't know if it's there yet, but okay. I know it is coming up. 
Okay. Um, soon. Yeah. So check the socials and keep an eye on that, and it should pop up fairly okay. soon. Yeah, Chris. There is one more thing. Let's let's hear about this. Let's hear about this new venture of yours. That kind of fits oh. in with the calendar. Yeah, this isn't exactly music related, uh, but uh, me and a few friends in the uh, gaming community here in Kansas City have started Party Invite. Um, we're a, a gaming outlet. We'll do reviews, videos, all kinds of things, podcasts. Um, we just launched on Monday with a podcast, and we had a, uh, one of our video features go up today. Uh, we're just trying to create a community of, of uh, diverse uh, voices and and things like that in the gaming community, which is kind of hard to find sometimes. It's a lot of white nerdy guys talking video games. So uh, <laughs> we're trying to uh, mix that up a little bit because we know uh, it's such a wide um, reach now, uh, video games. So um, it's KC-based, and, and we're, uh, we have you know website up, just Google Party Invite. All that stuff should pop up uh, if it's not. Um, at Party Invite, it's at Party Invite Show. Um, you can find that on all the social medias, Patreon, all that kind of stuff. And you have particular events, though, where people yes. would, like want to schedule things or look at things on their calendar? Um, I realize it's not music-related, but... Yeah, uh, we do uh, community events every Saturday. We do, like, community uh, community play. We just pick a game and have everybody come on and play. It's a very welcoming community, so you can be brand new to something and not feel intimidated by it or anything like that. But, uh, we'll have events, events coming, you know, when that's available, we'll be doing some virtual ones as well in December, um, uh, in collaboration with, uh, with, uh, some people here in town that hasn't been announced yet, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be doing events and things like that. Okay. Once, once, once we get back to normal, if okay. that's a thing. No, I think it's great. I think people are looking for things to do. If you'd like to learn more about that as well, everybody, Chris recently did an episode on Ope Radio with Ben Went, mm -hmm. where the two of them talk about any number of topics, but they, they do talk about, you know, when we think about video games, you think of a certain stereotype, and the fact yeah. is all sorts of different people play video games. Mm -hmm. And that would be one last thing to promote, too. I know uh, recently the Rhino is trying to help hold some events here to see what their winner is going to look like. I believe this weekend is the first. Yeah, they're doing some streaming. Uh, they're basically fitting the Rhino to be a streaming venue. Right. Because it's so small, they can't really space anybody out in it. So right. they're they're just pushing for streaming, and they're just going to go all in on that and see how that how that goes. And so their goal is in these next couple of weekends really to gauge interest. Again, this episode should come out here probably by the time that second one's over, but just check them out. Again, they're another great venue here in Kansas City trying to do what they can to continue to serve the community and keep their doors open moving forward. Center Cuts. We're here today with our guest Mark Manning, 
who hosts the program Wednesday Midday Medley at KKFI. And in this first part of the program, Mark, we really just like to pester you about everything about your life. We were talking before the program a little bit about where you're from. Do you want to just kind of start from the top? You're from Nebraska. Right. I Like we were joking about, I was born in Geneva and schooled in Crete, Nebraska. And uh, I grew up in Nebraska in a real small town. Originally, my family's from a town called McCool Junction, Nebraska. McCool Junction? Which is about 200 people. M-C-C-O-O-L? M little c, big c, O-O-L Junction. That's where you want to be from. Forget Crete. My grandma raised seven kids on a farm with no running water until the seventh was born. and, And she, like, raised chickens and sheep and had a huge garden and... She baked like six loaves of bread a day and she had to cook for an army. You're saying they got running water after the seventh? Just after finally decided seventh, to take the plunge? After the seventh one, they got <laughs> okay. running water. All right. And uh, yeah, and my my mom, uh, my mom and dad got married and they were young kids. They were like 19 and 20 when I was born. Mm-hmm. And uh, after about four years of living in McCool Junction, they moved to the big city of York. Which is <laughs> sorry, everyone. The county seat of the county of York, and uh, there's about eight thousand people in that town. Eight thousand. Uh huh. Okay. So it's a real small town, um, and uh, I grew up there and uh, had a pretty typical childhood in small town Nebraska. Um, uh, my mom and dad got a divorce when I was eleven, and my my mom and my sisters and I moved to the bad side of town. You know, even if small towns have a bad side. So we literally went across the tracks to the other side of town and we lived about a block from the beef packing plant. And my mom got a job working for uh, their, the prison for women in Nebraska is mm-hmm. in York, Nebraska. Okay. So my mom got a job working in the prison. How many siblings do you have? I have two younger sisters. And then my parents have been married. My parents both have been married three times. So okay. I have stepbrothers and sisters. Okay. But your mom basically was raising... My mom was kind years. of a single mom. Okay. Yeah. Understood. Brenton Cook, our guest last time, I think he said, what was it, 7,000? Chris Harrisonville? Yeah. It's just such a... Uh-huh. I, mean, I don't consider myself a big city boy, but I sometimes just really wonder growing up... Was there... Were you yeah. a public school kid? What? Were you a public school kid? Were there like... Yeah, there was a Lutheran school and a Catholic school. Okay. Um, but uh, when it came time to go to high school... Everybody went to the public high school pretty much. So everybody knows everybody. So everybody knows everybody pretty much. Um, and uh, <clears throat> I, I, I started working in a restaurant when I was 12 mm. as a busboy. And mm. I kind of grew up, I kind of had a second family in this restaurant mm. that helped raise me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I learned a lot from mm. that experience. And I was... A, I was kind of a nerdy kid. I mean, I I was I was doing theater a lot in already in at twelve. School. Yeah, and oh wow, really? I started doing theater like in second grade. Hmm. And uh, when I was in when I was about seven years old, I discovered my mom's record collection in the basement, and she had um, she had Meet the Beatles, oh. and she had uh, the Carpenters. Mm. close to you oh my god and like Engelbert Humperdinck and mm-hmm. uh, The Fifth Dimension 
Nice. It was basically what you could get from the Columbia House Record Club. Sure. You know? Yeah. And so One penny. I started playing her records when I was in second grade. And I learned the song Close to You. And I sang it for my second grade talent contest. Wow. That and takes I, won, nerve. I won first place. Really? In a tie with my girlfriend, Ann Withy, who played the piano. And another girl named Jill McNaught, who did a gymnastics routine. Too close and, to you? No, she. I did. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining this all coming together. It sounds spectacular. I, no, my mine was my own thing. They okay, had their own sorry. things too. But sorry. but the teacher. It was a three way tie. The winners and okay. our prize for winning was we got to perform for the third graders. Oh wow! Which I don't know if that's really a prize or not because yeah. third graders are a tougher audience <laughs> yeah, than second I mean. graders. <laughs> you know. But anyway, I learned this. I learned close to you. And I had learned it phonetically from listening to the record. Mm. And my mom is very, uh, my mom is a real fun person. She's just like Mm -hmm. in your face kind of mom. And Mm -hmm. there's no cobwebs in the closets of any of our closets at our house. Because my mom will tell you all of our family secrets upon meeting you, basically. (laughs) And anyway, my cousins would come over to visit. And my mom would go, oh, Mark won this contest. Get up and sing for them, Mark. Whatever. You know, she would like force me to sing close to you. Mm -hmm. And my cousins were visiting from Colorado, from California. And um, I'm singing, why do birds suddenly? And they're laughing at me. And I'm like, why are they laughing at me? And I basically, I had learned the song wrong. I had oh. learned it phonetically. So I was singing, why do birds suddenly a fee? I didn't know that a fee uh, wasn't a word. I was only a uh, second grader. Uh-huh. But I'm singing, why do birds suddenly a fee? And they're like, that isn't a word. And they're making fun of me. And But um, but that was sort of my introduction into like performing wow. and, and records and, yeah. and bands. And I, I became obsessed by the Carpenters. Because they kind of reminded me of my mom. Mm-hmm. I mean, Karen Carpenter wore like hip huggers and crocheted, you know, vests and stuff. And mm-hmm. and I was kind of obsessed by them for a while. And I grew out of that. Um, and then when I was 12, I actually started buying 7-inch records for mm-hmm. a nickel from one of my neighbors who was just selling records all the time. And I'm, I would buy all their old records. I'm and, bummed out now because when you, Mark came over for lunch. By the way, we're 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 masked up in here trying to be safe, but I had my first human in a, in our home in like eight months today, and uh, we broke a little bread. And Mark went into my music room on the wall. Mark, right when you walked in, there's a seven inch Japanese edition of Close to You with the Carpenters. Oh my god! And I only bought it just because you know the, to see Karen in there with like the Japanese lettering. Uh huh. They're, they're big they're in huge. Japan. Huge. Oh my god. They're still they're big huge. in Japan. Well, I mean, I love them. Yeah. So. Well, now you've already answered one of the questions. Did you have any musical connections as a child, whether it was playing an instrument? It's really funny, but I learned to play the trumpet in fifth grade. Okay. And guess who taught me how to play the trumpet? Um, Not the girl that was doing it. Jeff Harshbarger's father. What? (laughs) He's from McCool, too? No, no. I had a guest from Nebraska on the radio, and I'm like... I'm like, uh, Jeff, have you met my friend Les? He's, he came all the way from Nebraska. And Jeff's like, oh, I was born in Nebraska. And I go, really? Where were you born? And he goes, I was born in York, Nebraska. <laughs> and I go, York, Nebraska? He goes, yeah, my dad used to be the band director in the high school there back in the 70s. 
And I'm like, your dad is Mr. Harshbarker. And it all no. came true. His, his dad took our high school band to the Orange Bowl Parade. He was really a great band teacher. Oh, wow. And he was so good that he would go out into the elementary schools and get fifth graders, start them on their instruments so mm-hmm. that by the time they got to high school, they'd be ready to be in the band and they'd be up to to ready to play. And so I played trumpet all through middle school. Okay. And then when I got into high school, we had like 19 trumpet players and I was 17th chair, <laughs> which tells you how good I was. <laughs> and uh, the drummers behind me kept like punching me in the back of the neck while I was trying to play trumpet. So I, I found out that there was another class going on at the same time of band called acting class. And they looked like they were having so much more fun. So I dropped band and got myself into that acting class. And then I ended up, that class took over my life. Not in the 17th seat anymore. No, I was no longer in the band. But I did have that experience of being in a band and playing trumpet. And That, that is such a small world. So wait, just one more question on that. So Jeff's father wasn't living there? Jeff's father was living. You know how sometimes teachers have to move sure. around? So he lived in York for a period of his life. Okay. And him and his wife um, started their family kind of around the same time. Okay. And Jeff was born in York. And then a couple years later, his dad transferred down to Kansas. I see. Um, Manhattan or somewhere around there okay. is where they live. And okay. I mean, you, you have to have Jeff on the show sometime because yeah. he, he ended up becoming an amazing musician Mm -hmm. and his dad had a jazz band and whenever he couldn't go play with a band he'd send jeff to go play so jeff would be in these bars like this 12 year old kid playing with all these grown-ups and the bartender would give him a glass of milk at the bar you know uh, but i mean he he got started early playing live and and his dad is just the nicest he's got the most amazing parents and his dad is just this really great guy and that is such a great and story he, he like you know just like the shy boys i had the shy boys on the radio mm-hmm. today colin and kyle roush their dad was their high school band director oh is that right and their mom was their high school choir director oh yeah. my goodness so you, you know this music is yeah. in their it's in their dna when we were talking about over lunch danielle nicole today and her family you know, right as well you right see that. Um, my family, not musical. Okay. Like I was the first person in my family to like, you know, for my parents to actually, we have to buy a trumpet. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. Right. Well, it sounds like though you did have music in the home. We did have music in the home. Do you do church music stuff? Is there any connection there? I did. I was taken to church. I, my, my dad is Catholic and my mom was Methodist. So we obviously had a Catholic situation where, um, my dad did never go to church. Okay. I was baptized Catholic. I okay. consider myself half Catholic. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> is that possible? <laughs> so I was kind of like raised Methodist, and then and then when my mom and I talk about moving to the bad side of town, mm-hmm. we lived half a block away from a Nazarene church. Okay, and it happened to be the same church that a lot of the women that were in the prison would be able to go to on Sunday, mm. and we started going to that church, and and and. Um, Music was a big part of that also. Okay. But, um, and so I played my trumpet. I actually played trumpet in church a few times. Wow. Can you believe it? Well, sounds like you weren't that bad then. I mean, well, I don't know. It's the Sunday night service. Gabriel's, Gabriel's horn. <laughs> now, so that was your, early, sounds like you had early exposure then to theater, which was 
Yeah. Just wanted to be with something where... Right. I always was interested in theater. And from second grade to third grade and on, I was in pl- little plays here and there. Okay. And then in high school, I got really into it. All the kids funneled into the one high school. Right. Okay. All right. right. Now, after high school, what's what happened? If you were telling us about some college experiences. And then I, I got, I, 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 you know, like all kids, I applied to like six different colleges and then just narrowed it down from mm-hmm. there. And I, I ended up going to Doan College in Crete, Nebraska. It's the oldest college in Nebraska. That's it's, Crete? Uh, it's been around for like 150 years. All right. And uh, it's a private college that originally was just one location. And then over the years, they've expanded to having campuses in Lincoln and Grand Island and Omaha and different places. Um, Chris, you're nodding your head. Do you know that? Oh, okay. Sorry. Colleges, I feel like I'm not Colleges educated. do that. It's a way for them to make more revenue. Understood. And and because uh, with like 700 schools, 700 students only, because it's right. a small, right. but it's a beautiful campus. And it was kind of like an oasis, mm-hmm. like its own little world. And uh, I majored in theater and also did a lot of work in speech mm. and that and, and English also. Speech as in like speech and debate, like, spe- like I had a speech scholarship and I had a theater scholarship. Oh, I had no idea. And I maintained them both for four years. Did you do through. speech in high school? I did. I was a state champion. Mark I was a, Manning. I, was I had a no idea. state champion speech wow. person. I'm like one of those nerds that... Oh, my son school. right now just competed in his... Place third last week. He does debate, but then he's Congress, right? Where you basically uh-huh. just get up and get debate, a speech. Yeah. And he's like, "Well, we're just doing it because we get more points, you know, for nationals." But he's, I mean, I love it. I feel like that's a big issue in public schools is taking away civics, taking away things like home ec, and taking away public speaking. Right. You got to expose people to what no, they're not we comfortable need that. with. No, it's a really. I learned so much, and I had a really great speech teacher who mm. was just amazing teacher, and he challenged me and made me better and. um I lettered in high school. Yeah. And in speech. Well, heck, and I have won. all these medals. State champion. I mean, we were like the winningest team that year in our school, the, okay. the nerds in speech. Before moving on then to after education things, though, uh, was there a place to get music in? Because I've been asking some of There our was guests. a small record store in my hometown okay. that only sold seven inches. <laughs> I guess I have this. They sold seven inch records and incense. I guess I have That's all they sold. <laughs> and you could go there and buy a seven inch for under a dollar. I think it was like 75 right. cents. And they had the top 40 singles on the wall. Okay. And I became obsessed. And when I was like 11 and 12, I discovered Casey Kasem's America's Top 40. Of course. And every Sunday night, I would listen to that show and write down all the songs in a notebook. Mm. And my dad would like take me and my sisters fishing, and they'd be all out fishing. I'd be in his truck <coughs> trying to write down all the songs. Great. Very wow. crazy. And I have those old notebooks. Uh, and it was during like 74, 75, oh, man, 76, 77. It was a different time of radio, yeah. And a different time of music. I'm just a few years younger than you, I mean, but Casey Kasem was huge for me. Programs like Doctor Demento, King Biscuit, Flower Hour. But I guess I just right. have this imagination of you at age like 12, discovering David Bowie. You know, no, you it, came find a li- that stuff. It, it became a little bit later for me for Bowie. I was into the Beatles though. Right, there was a Beatles radio show on WOW radio in Omaha. Mm-hmm. And it was a top 40 radio station at that time. 
and every Sunday night they had a Beatles show and they brought in this, the regular DJ for that evening shift did a special hour with just Beatles trivia. And they brought in this guy who was like a Beatles like specialist. Yeah. And they would play, they would just tell all these different stories and every week they would do different themes and he would like tell you which Beatle wrote the song really. And like they did a whole show on the Paul is dead phenomenon and uh, you just soaked it up, didn't you? I just soaked it all up, and I I like bought all of the Beatles, and I like mm-hmm. went I researched them all, and mm-hmm. uh, the White Album became like one of my favorite Beatles albums mm-hmm. of all time. Mm-hmm. I I still think that album is like genius. Have but you, have you heard that? Uh, was it two years ago now? Three years? I never really got in the White Album. I'm super into their early like six seven, probably up to uh, Sergeant Pepper's didn't really do it for me, but. Uh, my business partner Jim Anders had gotten me that that remastered version uh-huh. with the with the unreleased stuff like I have George. that holy smokes yeah. that's just it's just mind it's mind blowing it's beautiful I figured uh, Matt Roth started something uh, Facebook group it's like writing about music and so people have been talking about their experiences and we talked about this with Brenton we've talked about it Brenton Cook last episode with Steve Tulipana I just don't think younger people these days understand how much more accessible it is or how much easier it is to find music these days to find information and it's not just the internet but for a certain generation like ourselves i mean you had to just trust that one radio station or that one cool neighbor that maybe there was had a magazine there was a circus magazine all right and hit parader Mm -hmm. and there was rolling stone yeah and then there was tv Mm. there was in a way, maybe more music shows then than there are now that were like true to music, like mm-hmm. like the Midnight Special mm-hmm. and Don Kirchner presents. Oh yeah, you know, and some of these shows where you could see things that, like, I don't know if you can really see that kind of stuff on the TV true. in the same way as it was but then. But getting access to the music, I mean, the actual physical copy uh-huh. that, that was just it was like gold. Yeah, and there and there like in our town there were albums that were sold in like hardware like like stores that sold stereos would mm. also like mm. there was an Elco that started okay. in our, and so I remember walking into the Elco store and they were playing um Queen and Night at the Opera on the stereo. Oh, great album. Which was a good record to play it to test out a stereo. Yeah, you know. Great album. But I like I've never heard anything like this before. I have to know this band, you know, and I became really infatuated with Queen mm-hmm. early on. Mm-hmm. I remember I worked for my dad's concrete construction company off off and on over the summer. Mm-hmm. And I was this little scrawny 12-year-old kid with these like big burly college dudes and like, mm-hmm. what kind of music do you listen to? And I'm like, I like Queen. Heck yeah. You know, they're like figures, you know. It's like, no, I love but, Queen. You know, there is something about Queen and, and especially those early albums. News I, of the World. Right. Oh, God. So, all right. So you you, you majored in theater. And right. And also in speech. Uh, theater was my main major. Okay. And speech was kind of a... What happened with my college is they decided to not have a speech team that was competitive that mm. went out and did competition. So instead, they had all the people in the speech teams create speeches, and then they made a menu of these speeches, and then they sent these out to all these different groups all over the state, and then people, if they wanted a guest speaker for their oh, event, interesting, could could hire us 
for nothing. We never got mm-hmm. paid. Mm-hmm. But we would go out and give speeches. And for some reason, I wrote this this one particular speech that everybody wanted me to come do. So I was doing this speech. Like every weekend, I went somewhere to do a speech. And uh, the speech was, how to feel good about being yourself was the speech. Oh, God, Mark, that's great. <laughs> and uh, Do you have that? I, I could probably do it for you. It was, it was, I had to fill an hour. I had to fill an hour. So I'd, I had done this speech in high school that was an after-dinner speech called My Life in P.E. That was this funny uh-huh. kind of stand-up thing that I did that everybody liked. And that was sort of the intro to this larger story of take something that may be a, um, a hardship in your life or something that you make people have made fun of you for and turn it into a successful thing you know that was the whole gist of this speech so anyway i did this my freshman sophomore junior and senior year all through college this this dumb speech people loved it my senior year in college i get called to do the speech at the women's prison in my hometown Somehow this woman who was like a event coordinator at the women's prison hired me to come to the prison to give this speech. So I, I so you would basically go to this. Yeah, the connections. I would go to this professor's room and they say, well, you're being sent out here this week. And I go, where am I going? You're going to York, Nebraska. And I'm like, it's my hometown. And they're like, yeah, they want you to speak at the women's prison. I'm like, oh, my God, I used to go there as a oh, kid. Because my mom, when my mom worked there, she was a new employee and they had take your kids to work days at the prison. And she had to work all the holidays. She had to work Easter and Mother's Day. So she would take us kids to work with her on those days. Wow. So I spent a lot of time at the prison. Mm-hmm. That's where I first heard Al Green. Because Nebraska radio is so white. Mm-hmm. You never heard R&B. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I moved to Kansas City that I really understood what R&B was. Because mm-hmm. in Nebraska, the it was all like Led Zeppelin and... Then Lizzie and and it was all just white. Even the rock stations were like all white, white, yeah. white. And so I'm in the prison. I'm like, what is? Let's stay together. What is the song? You know, and and these women have these little portable uh, record players outside, and they're playing El Green. And I'm like, oh my god, that's the best thing I've ever heard in my life. And and um, you anyway, this is a movie. You and I'm like here, 12 Mark. years old. I'm like 12 years old. So here I am, almost 10 years later. I'm going back to this prison to give this speech, how to feel good about being yourself. So I walk into this event room and no one is in there. It's like this room full of 50 chairs that are all empty. And I brought my friend Lisa with me and we're just sitting in this room waiting and waiting. Uh And this very stiff lady walks in and is like, Mr. Manning, thank you for being here. Um, Well, you see, the women are rehearsing for a choir concert to raise money to build a church on the grounds here. Let me see if I can go talk them into coming in to hear your speech. I'll be right back. So she leaves. And I'm like, she's going to go talk them into coming to hear my speech. I figured you had a captive audience. This is going to be horrible. you know. And, and plus, I'm doing a speech called How to Feel Good About Being Yourself to Prisoners. you know. <laughs> so then about 15 minutes later, these doors fly open. And in walk all these women. And they're like, all right, we heard this was funny. Make it funny, you know? And I'm like rewriting the speech in my mind, you know? And I had recently gotten arrested for DWI when I was 19. So I'm like, put all that in the speech real quick. Talk about being arrested. Put it all in there, you know? So I 
I gave this speech to them and they were actually a pretty fun audience. They talked back, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, well, you took them away from. Yeah. And they're like laughing. And this woman in the front row goes, wait a second. You're Mannix's son, aren't you? Because my mom, my last name was my mom's last name was Manning, but they always called her Mannix. Because that was like a, a TV, TV show? show at the time. <laughs> like, you're Maddox's son, aren't you? I remember you. And they rem- some of these women had been in there oh, wow. since I was 12. And they remembered me, you oh, know. Wow. So I had that going for me. And then <laughs> I get done with my speech. And they're like, well, you know what? You've just performed for us. It's our turn to perform for you. And this stiff warden lady's like, you don't have to stay here. You can leave now if you want. And I go, no, I want to stay. And they got up and sang as a choir Beautiful. for like 45 minutes. Beautiful. Just to me, you know. And this woman had like thumbnails that were about three inches long. And she had two thumbs stuck up. That's how she directed the choir, you know. And it was just this really incredible experience of, of uh, being in this prison <laughs> Chris, are you, Chris, are you catching all this? Oh yeah, Mark's I mean, was... memory is so phenomenal. No, I already knew how it's... it was as far as like music and movies and life events. It's just one of a... the it's one of those things in life that you don't forget about because it's like you think you're something out, you know, and you're really not. It's it's like the audience, you know, what you share with people, and, right? And uh, you, you were know. 22, so you're obviously younger than. Right, most of the people in there. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, and and, and the, you know, it just I learned so much about like York, Nebraska is like an at that time especially all white place. Mm-hmm. Like there's hardly any diversity. Mm-hmm. It's very homogenous. It's like everybody's a German, Irish, or Norwegian immigrant. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, except for at the prison, at the mm-hmm. prison, all of a sudden it's predominantly African American. Right, and it just for me as a young eleven-year-old kid, I immediately got a lesson in just how the inequality of our justice system and just how you know racist it really is. Mm-hmm. And it just became obvious to me as an eleven-year-old child sitting in this prison, going, "Why is everybody in this prison?" 90% African American what and and mainly there because of poverty mainly mm-hmm. there because of just trying to find food for the kids you know yeah. there's just like the injustice of it all um, numerous factors don't have the means potentially to be able to afford you know legal right, representation right. exactly that's so fascinating that young people can see so clearly through what adults act like you they don't know what you're talking about i mean it was just crystal clear to you like this is not who I see on the streets every day. Why are they all here? It's like, I don't know if they don't know. It's just something that wasn't talked about. Mm -hmm. It's like one of those huge denial topics. Yeah. You know, we don't talk about this. This is a subject we don't talk about, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I learned a lot. There was a famous prisoner, Carol Fugate, who went there and she was part of uh, Charles Starkweather. Mm. Carl Fugate, they made a movie called Badlands. Oh, sure. Out, out of their story. And she was actually a prisoner there who I knew. And she went to the same church that my family did. And she oh, wow. babysat all the babies in the nursery every Sunday. That was mm-hmm. her job. And she'd been in prison. More more of her life had been spent in prison. She was sentenced to prison as a 15-year-old girl mm. who had been brutalized and terrorized by this mass murderer yeah. And they somehow gave her life in prison, too. Um, but she was eventually able to get out of prison. And um, I need to watch that again. That movie is really fascinating. Yeah, he, uh, all of his films. One Terrence thing I Hullock. love about... 
Yeah, one thing I love about your program, Mark, is you, I believe, I feel you're very intentional about representing different voices, giving a broad range of guests, and aren't even talking about musical styles, gender, race, religion, sexuality, age. I think you want to make a provide a platform or a space where they can all come and share their stories. And I'm sure right. part of that's based off of what you saw as a child or as a young adult. What what brought you to Kansas City? Because we were talking a little bit too about you were in Kansas City when you were doing that work in DC. Uh-huh. Did you come straight from Nebraska to Kansas City? I did. I had some really good friends who I considered part of my chosen family. Okay. That were here before me. And one of my best friends um, Michael, his family's from here originally. And his uncle had a restaurant down in Columbus Park called Tolly's. Okay. It was an Italian restaurant. You know where Garozzo's is now? Yes. That used to be Tolly's. Okay. And before that, there was an older version of Tolly's, which okay. was a little bit closer to um, Third Street. All right. And uh, I used to come down with Michael to visit his family, mm-hmm. his, his crazy Italian family. And Uncle Tolly was part of the doc, the boxing commission here in town. Mm. He was on that board. Mm-hmm. So he'd be like, nephew, I got your tickets to the boxing match tomorrow night. And we went to the Civic Auditorium and saw Tony Chivarini in some boxing match. And he like brought us out of the stands and was like, I got your ringside seats. Come on down here, which I don't recommend setting ringside at a boxing match because <laughs> you just get stuff splattered. It's like roller derby. It's not, it's not at all. I was it. right next to the thing they spit in and it was... As a young gay kid, I, it's not my thing, okay? You know right, what I mean? Right. But um, but I fell in love with Kansas City for a lot of reasons. And uh, and then when I was in college, uh, after I graduated from college, I had a really crazy senior year in college where I was kind of set back emotionally. Mm-hmm. I just, and I remember I moved all my stuff into my dad's basement and to put it in storage. And when I got the last box in there, I was like, do you mind if I store myself here for a while, Dad? Mm. He's like, whatever. So I lived with my dad for a year after college, and I went back to the restaurant that I worked in. Okay. And I directed plays for the local uh, community theater company, and we did them in the restaurant where I worked. Mm. So I had a lot of crossover in my life, and and I kind of got myself back together emotionally, and then I moved to Kansas City in the summer of 1986. Okay. Now, was the plan to pursue theater here? Yeah, I immediately hooked up with the Unicorn. Like right. within a month of living here, I auditioned for a play at the Unicorn. I got cast in a play. I started working there, and then I made friends with the production coordinator who asked me if I wanted to just work on the next play. And mm-hmm. I ended up doing 18 shows in a row Whoa. at the Unicorn. I worked there for about three years, All and right. I did everything. I did every job. I designed whatever was needed. I sometimes was like there was one play that I did where I was the production assistant. So I was like the assistant to the stage manager. Mm-hmm. I was also the house manager for the play, mm. and I was also the first actor on stage. <laughs> oh, you're cueing so would, yourself to get so out there. So I would there. close the house, run backstage. This other older actor would help me get into my costume, so then I could wheel him on stage in a wheelchair. You know. And uh, I just did all kinds of jobs there. And I, I lived at the Unicorn every night mm. from, you know, Wednesday night to Sunday night. I was mm. there and I I worked on shows from the first read through to the very last production. So I got to see the whole arc of a show and mm. how shows were put together. And it was like a really, it was an extension of my college experience. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, I went to a college that was really pretty good at training you in theater. But it, 
that was an invaluable time at the Unicorn. And I stage managed the world premiere of a non-equity musical. The Unicorn's an equity theater, so they have to have an equity stage manager. But they did produce a non-equity musical one summer in cooperation with the Easter Sills. And it was a Second City production written by a guy out of Second City in Chicago and directed by another guy out of Second City. And they mm. brought in a few Chicago actors, but it was called Doing the Reality Rag. And it was a show about disabilities. And it had a blind actor, a deaf actress, two actors who were quadriplegics in wheelchairs, and an actress with spina bifida, and then and then able-bodied actors, and then translators. So it was a huge, it was a huge endeavor yeah. to work on as a stage manager. And it was a big show. It ran for like six or seven weeks. Mm -hmm. And it was also like the best job I'd had. And then that show was produced in Des Moines like the next year. And I went to Des Moines and stage managed that. Okay, there. that's what you were talking about. Right. And and it, and I just, I learned, I learned how to do professional theater and I learned how to be a stage manager. Hmm. And that never left me. And I think that's part of what guides me in the radio show. Like everything I do has to it's like it's like like i i pretty much write a script for the radio show down to the minute like i would in theater that's, like everything has a cue everything has a time for that cue that's what know? we were discussing at lunch today that on, on mark's program today which was outstanding by the way i really felt like today completely exemplified why i'm so drawn and why so many people are drawn to your program you had on um Daniel Daniel Gum to talk about his new record, right. local artist, Manor Records. And he's Beautiful young album. and he's still like finding his way as a performer. Oh, yeah. yeah. And right. You were talking about how the Beatles were a big influence on him. Then you had um, Julia Othmer on. Fantastic interview. Kansas City. I don't know if she's a native, but she's from yeah, here. Yeah, she's from here. But now living in Los Angeles. Uh -huh. Then you had a song from Crystal Warren, again, from Kansas City, but in Paris now. And then the whole second half was with the Shy Boys. And I'm like this is the best freaking program ever. I mean, I don't ever want to turn the dial up, but to my point at the very end, after you'd had a great conversation, all right, guys, we've got about 30 seconds left. I'm like, Mark, Mark's got a notebook out right now. He knows exactly how much time he's got to put his last song in. I mean, you're so meticulous, Mark. It has to be like that. You know, it's, Not if it's a podcast. Well, yeah, a podcast you can go back and edit. And I, Basically, I'm not good at editing, mm -hmm. so I like pre-edit. I, pre I feel like I pre-edit. Yeah. And remember, there's a thing called edit in camera. You could do it with a video camera where you like you you edit it as you're filming it, right? And that's how I would always do sure. video projects sure. because I didn't, I wasn't good at the edit. The editing part is the hardest part sometimes. Yeah. You know, it's I, most time consuming. I also just think you enjoy the meticulousness of plotting and planning. I mean, when we started the label. Even before we started the label, you were really between you, Chris Agarian, uh, with eight one six, of course, reading everything from Michelle Bacon, Tim Finn, Bill Brownlee. I mean, I'm sure I'm gonna be missing someone here, but Mark puts the most meticulous notes about his programs, and then you would eventually tag me later, which you still do. Right, I appreciate. Right, yeah. And I'm just taking notes off those, like you know, who is this person? When did they record this? And I, I just feel like that's something you're very passionate about. Going back to your days of writing down every single song from Casey Kasem now. Yeah, you know? and, and I also have this feeling about KKFI mm. um, because it's a community radio station, right? which makes it different from any other station. Mm -hmm. Like, I like to remind people, we have 75 
locally produced radio programs that are weekly. Mm-hmm. What other TV or radio station has 75 mm-hmm. locally produced radio? I mean, can you imagine? Right. And there's like over 100 volunteers that create content for each of those 75 different shows right. every week. And that's unheard of. And we have a mission at KKFI to present things that are underrepresented in mm-hmm. other media. That's mm-hmm. really our mission. Mm-hmm. And so we're not going to be the station where you're going to tune in to hear Lady Gaga or Madonna. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's plenty of representation in other media for both of those artists. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be the place that's going to play. And in my opinion, we should be the place that that is the first place where you go to find out about what's happening in the local community. Mm-hmm. And for many, many years, we were the only place for that to be. Mm. You know, um, KKFI has been around for 32 years now. Mm-hmm. And so many people, the first time they ever got played on the radio was KKFI because, because people were that it's just, it's made by people from the neighborhood, like people right around us right now outside that live on Rock Hill road mm-hmm. also contribute to KKFI. Sure. It's, it's, it's right from the, the community. And so I, when I first started doing the midday medley, at first, I'm like, oh, I can just play all of my favorite music, you know? Yeah. And for a couple of years, that's what I did. But then the more I did the show, the more local music artists started coming and saying, can I come on the show and talk about something? And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I guess I can fit you into the show, you know? Right, right. I have to, I have to remove 15 minutes of the songs I want to play, you know? Mm-hmm. But then it just started changing. Like Abigail Henderson from Midwest Music Foundation mm-hmm. was really a huge influence on me. Because she came on and said, you know, we'd like to think of this as our show. Mm. And, it, and I'm like, huh, you know, it's, it, it isn't my show. I don't, KKFI basically owns the, all the shows on the mm-hmm. stage. Mm-hmm. It's not my show. It belongs to the community. Right. So if I'm going to live up to that idea, I have to truly live up to that idea. And so I, I think around about 10, 11 years ago, I had a big shift where I like, totally changed how I do the show completely and turned it over completely to the community. And it's now, I just tell people, if you want to come on the show, just call me. And I have between 150 and 200 guests a year on mm-hmm. the show. Mm-hmm. And I try to play, you know, hundreds of local releases and try to be um, the place where you can go to find out about bands in Kansas City that you may not know about. And since then, the bridge has come around mm-hmm. and they kind of do a lot of what I wanted to do with the show in the first place, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but but still, they can't keep track of everything on the bridge. Yeah. And they have their own algorithm and their own, you know, way of putting their playlist together. Um, but I kind of decided that... Um, I want to devote huge amounts of the show to local music and then also mix that with national releases that are new yeah. also. Yeah. And then and then in the last four or five years, I've become really obsessed with making the show be equal so that in a playlist of 18 songs, nine of them should be femme voices and the other nine can be masculine voices. Right. And divide it up that way. And then also at least 40% of the show be people of color. At least. I feel like that you're intentional about that. And I think we're attempting to do that with Center Cuts as well as far as our guests being from different fields, genders, ages, etc. But, you know, to your point, I didn't realize there were 75 different programs, did you say? Uh Because like today, Chris, I was telling Mark earlier, I mean, I wake up to Democracy Now! That's a very interesting program. Not Kansas City-based necessarily. 
Then I start with you for two hours. Then we roll into Maria Vasquez Boyd today. She had a lovely tribute to Molly Hammer right. with Ebony Fonda. And I'm crying in the car. It's like so many musicians calling. Oh, in. I'm just yeah. I'm yeah. serious. I don't cry often. I'm crying in the car today, picking up our lunch. Yeah, definitely. Then you've got Jeff Harshbarger rolling after that with Jazz Richardson. Then you got Groovy Grant for uh-huh. a couple hours. Then you've got the the American American Roots, which I is mean, a nationally syndicated you, program. I, I feel like you and the bridge really complement each other well. You I have think so. that flexibility, though, to offer that kind of variety of programming. We're friends. I mean, the bridge and KKFI are friends. Yeah, I love it. You know, love it. And we're close to each other on the dial. And same with KCUR. Sure. And Michael Byers. Sure. And oh, absolutely. All hey, the good people there. And two two questions. We're gonna we're gonna try to stay on track today. Um, before we move on to our questions about Kansas City music, one. Tell us a little bit how you did get involved in KKFI, because I know you were on the board for a long time. And then I also, too, want to hear, I want you to tell the audience a little bit, too, about the, your gardening move, because that wasn't intentional either, right? coming from the theater. I, I came to community radio through community gardening. Oh, really. okay. okay. I mean, and I came to community gardening through theater, mm. but I was working at the Midland Theater, and right. I talked to the people at the Midland into letting me do a Big Bang Buffet. Big Bang Buffet is a group of performance artists and writers and actors and musicians that I met when I worked at Cafe Lulu back in 1990. And we created a show there called The Spoken Word. And we all found each other. Mm-hmm. We didn't even know we all existed. Mm. But all of us were writing our own material. And it was all about being gay or queer or different or weird. It wasn't only gay people. It was straight all mm-hmm. ages, really diverse. Theater. And we bonded together and created Big Bang Buffet and started producing weekly and monthly shows. And mm-hmm. we produced hundreds of shows over 15 years and you're, all these non-traditional venues. You're like 27 at that time? 28? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I I had lived in Kansas City for three years and then I felt like I finally found myself. Okay. You know, I'd worked in professional theater, mm-hmm. but I felt like this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I want to do performance art. I want to do theater in a restaurant, mm-hmm. <laughs> a nightclub, mm-hmm. you know, the really crazy places to do it. But it was challenging. It was during the time of ACT UP. Oh, um, okay. So there's lots of blurring of lines. A lot of performance was protest and a lot of protest was theater. Mm-hmm. But but through that, I, I ended up, um, you know, 15 years later, I'm at the Midland working and I got the, I talked them into letting me do a Big Bang show. So we produced a show there called Upstage Downtown where you put the audience on stage. So we seated about 150 to 200 people on the back part of the stage. Cool. And all the performances were downstage. So the backdrop is the house, which is really the best part of the Midland. Beautiful. And and we invited these teen poets of KCK to be our special guests. And all the money we raised was for this literary magazine that they produced every year. They needed money to do that. So we helped them raise that money with the show. And the woman that was the sponsor of all this was this woman named Marsha Pomeroy. And I became friends with her through mm. that experience. And when I resigned from the Midland, I, um, which is a whole big story, I can mm-hmm. tell you later. Um, I met Marsha on the street and she's like, come work for me. So I ended up working for Marsha and doing a literary program in KCK that then she asked me to help her with this gar- idea of starting this garden program. Okay. So her and I started this garden program completely out of the blue. And we built raised bed gardens on the school grounds of seven schools and developed a whole 
a 10-month curriculum of workshops that we do with about 1,300 students in first, fourth, and sixth grade. You're just learning how to do this on your own, right? And we sort of, it was all organic. Like, it's an organic garden, and the whole approach was organically grown. Mm -hmm. It's like, they want to learn about worms. Let's do a worm workshop. Yeah. Um, Everybody wants to learn about salsa. Let's think. And so we just created this curriculum based on what people were interested in and the needs of the program. And 20 years later, we still are doing it. Right. And it's uh, 20 years, right? It's been 20 years now. Jeez. And my experience of working in KCK really changed. It was a whole life change. Mm-hmm. And it motivated me in a whole new way of community, mm-hmm. doing community work. Why are we doing these shows? Why are we doing all these performances? We want to make the community better. Mm-hmm. So then I got asked to work on a radio show on KKFI called The Tenth Voice, which was an LGBT mm. public affairs mm-hmm. show. So I worked on that show for about nine years. And through the work on that show, I fell head in first into the radio station. And sometimes we could do a whole hour yeah. on my first year at KKFI because I became part of a a group of programmers that raised $18,000, hired a lawyer, and brought a lawsuit against the board of directors of KKFI mm. and sued them <laughs> mm. because they had hired this horrible manager who was ruining the station mm. and was throwing all these women off the air and all these minorities off the air. Mm. It was just a, it was like a Trump. What year is this? This is in 2001. Oh, okay. And so from 2001 to 2004, I was part of the struggle at the station to take the station back right. from this horrible man. Okay. And we won. Okay. We, we got our bylaws back. We got all these people that had been thrown off the air back. We got our station back. He changed it to public radio, and we had oh. it back to community. And I learned so much in that process of that struggle. Yeah. Um, you joined the board at that time? I After went. That? I was the president of the board of the Friends of Community Radio who okay. were fighting the station. I see. And I transitioned from that onto the board of KKFI okay. after okay. we won all of our objectives. Okay. It's like... It's like I'm going to go onto the board so that I can help protect all the things that we fought for. Okay. And I was on the board for about um, six years. Mm-hmm. And that was about as much as I could take at that time. <laughs> and is that where you met Marion? And I met Marion because in 2004, our program director at the time asked me to do the Wednesday midday medley. There used to be all a right. paid programmer that did Monday through Friday from... Uh, 9 to 11 and they had a morning buzz program that did Monday through Friday so it was two people that mm. did every day of the week and they they wanted those to not be paid positions but to be volunteers okay so they took and they made 10 slots and they brought in 10 other volunteer programmers mm. and I was asked to do the Wednesday midday medley that's how it came about so I always wanted to do a music show I always mm. wanted to have I, I, I had done nine years on the 10th voice doing a public affairs show, but I really felt like I could be more creative and, and do a music show and mm-hmm. play music. And I always wanted somebody from a record store to be on, to be a, like a, have a semi-regular role mm-hmm. because record stores are like the clearinghouse of information for music. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that was Ann Winter. Mm-hmm. She was one of my best friends mm-hmm. who had helped me get into so many opportunities mm-hmm. and I'd collaborated with her for, for years mm-hmm. on all kinds of programs with the coalition against censorship. And she had introduced me to Iris Dement 
and I'd become friends with Iris Dimmitt because mm. of Anne and all these great opportunities. And like one year, Anne came into my house, threw me in her van, drove me to Lollapalooza and threw me at the spoken word tent. Says, you have to go in there and perform. You know, she was like, she was just like, she was the kind of person that nudged her friends into doing mm-hmm. more than they thought they could do. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I thought maybe it was just me, but when Anne died, you know, we realized that there were hundreds of us mm-hmm. that she had touched, yeah. that she had nudged and pushed into where they are mm-hmm. and that she had done that for so many people. And so when she died, I made this vow that that I can't do everything she did, but I could do part of her work. Mm-hmm. I could keep part of her work alive. And one way that I could do it was with the radio show. Right. You know, I could help support local musicians and local bands the way she did. Right. Um, and so that became a real mission for me. Plus, Anne started, helped start KKFI. She was one of the people who helped start the radio station. And uh, along with Recycled Sounds, I mean, she just was an instrumental person in our community. And so through her inspiration and also through Abigail Henderson, I I like really wanted the, the show to be the place to support the community. Mm-hmm. And I learned which really it does. Quick, and I learned really quick that you know we don't call it a scene. I'm sorry, it's not a scene. It's a community. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. And and then as I started doing this, I became accepted by that community mm-hmm. and really found out just really what that community is about and realized how beautiful it is. You it's know, home. How. how how open armed, you know, I love you, bro. You know, yeah. it's just a really, yeah. it's a really incredible community to be a part of. And I'm proud to be a radio show that helps support that. And it's just, I mean, it, there's so many different parts of our community that keep the community going, whether it be the musicians, the labels, the studios, the record stores. Right. You know, there's a whole right network that keep it going. I don't know what year Recycled Sounds opened, but I clearly remember when it was opening and watching them just slowly but surely put posters up on the walls and things. I'm. It was around 1985, 86. Yeah, I remember going in there probably about 88, 89 in college. And... Um, Anne was always just so gracious with her time, knowledge, and supporting. And it wasn't, again, just about the music. It was just about art. It was about people, really. Uh-huh, right. And again, I think that's what you do on your program, Mark. You're not, it's, it's not just about music. You've got people from all different walks of life, and you just give them a place to speak. I, I did want to also give props and just say I got to see Mark in action about a month ago when you were building the beds. <laughs> Oh my uh, God! Thank you so you much. Should, you guys, you, you have no idea. Patrick worked so hard. Oh, I didn't do anything. We like Mark, put him to work. Like no, no. Mark, stapling landscape no. fabric into Mark, this hard dirt. Mark took a barren plot of land and basically put in what twenty raised eighteen, bed, 18 uh-huh. which you don't just go put the wood down and dig it up. I mean, it's a process. He had a, I wouldn't say a small army. You certainly had a bunch of volunteers the day I came out there that you know drifted out at the end of the day, but. When I see those kind of things, being a teacher and watching and knowing how that's going to impact those children this fall, you know, when they come into school and they see those things, I mean, you just got to know so many people appreciate you outside of the music and the arts community and, and all the other communities that we've mentioned today. Um, Thank you, by the way, for your hard work. Oh, it's my you pleasure. Showed I was up, just hungry. You I'm showed grumpy. up and I was like, 
I mean, Hansen was because normally it. we have 306 graders that help us do this yeah, child labor, and we didn't have that this year, right? And so we were depending on community members to come out and help, and somehow we got the garden built in no, three it was, days. It's it was beautiful, like a, Mark Manning, a miracle. But thank you, Patrick. My pleasure. You're forever in my debt for. <laughs> well, he's done his hands and knees because that was hard ground. That's fine. Yeah, he had knee pads. Mark, you still breathing? I'm still breathing. Still got a pulse. Yeah. I think we uh, <laughs> we are really trying to stick with the time format here. And Mark obviously sticks to one on his program, Wednesday Midday Medley at KKFI. Uh, but Chris Mary, our host, just graciously said we can keep the taper rolling. We learned a little bit about uh, Mark's life, Mark's uh, growing up in Nebraska, the, the cosmopolitan cities that he lived in. <laughs> His move to Kansas City, involvement in the theater here, working with the community, specifically in the music community, also the community gardens. And now we want to move on to our last two segments, if Mark can handle us any longer, which are basically this. What's something that you'd like to champion about Kansas City? It doesn't have to be in the music industry. And then what is something you feel like Kansas City needs or something we could approve upon specifically for the music industry. You don't have to tackle those in any particular order necessarily. Yeah, it's. I remember like when Folk Alliance first came to Kansas City, right? And people talked a lot about how Kansas City kind of reminded them of Austin, Texas, mm-hmm. like twenty five years ago or something. Mm-hmm. And and they're like, that's a good thing, and it's also a bad thing, you sure. know. And and it's true. You don't always want everyone to know about the best kept secret because then all of a sudden you have to Mm -hmm. wait in line for it you know um but we do have a really incredible music community and every time i talk to national artists that come here to collaborate with kansas city musicians they always talk about my god i didn't know you had so many great musicians here in kansas city Mm -hmm. but we we have a wealth of that we have a wealth of great musicians in multi-genre who all interact with each other and cross over and do it without a lot of ego Mm -hmm. and it's a beautiful thing it's really a beautiful thing and i love it um i i wish that we got more respect from the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. I think people think of Kansas City in terms of jazz and maybe maybe blues too. Mm-hmm. But just like Kelvin, uh, mm-hmm. for example, Kelvin Arsenia or Crystal Warren or some of the some of these artists, to me they're unparalleled, you know, and they're from here. And I'm really proud. I'm really proud of our music community. So sometimes I wish that 
I wish that our own community would know more about these artists. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. so many people, like sometimes I'll have people in Kansas City say, I don't know anybody on your playlist. It's like, well, you really should. Right. There's really no excuse at this point. You really right. should know about these people mm-hmm. um, because there's so much more to music than maybe what you think there is. Mm-hmm. And and we just, and it's a, it's a community that's growing. I mean, it just is continuing to grow every year mm-hmm. uh, in, in all ways. coming out from artists here in Kansas City. I'm curious, do you believe that's because there's some sort of initiative or like go-getter spirit here in Kansas City? Or is it maybe perhaps because they just have access to recording equipment? And I think it's a little bit of both. Because this is the show me state. Mm-hmm. And a lot of Kansas City is, yeah, you can talk about it all you want. I want to see what you do. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you have to actually build it and then they will come you know that that is that spirit here show me what you got don't just talk about it and and it doesn't really matter who you are or whether you're gay straight male female whatever it's how good you are what your music sounds Mm -hmm. like but i do think technologies played a big role in the fact that people can record high quality recordings in their bedroom now right and make full albums in their bedrooms and a lot of nationally known artists are doing that and so are a lot of people in Kansas City and that might be how they started mm-hmm. and then they ended up creating their own recording studio that mm-hmm. started off in their bedroom yeah. I mean, you know like Ross Brown would be one person I would say that maybe did that kind of a journey where now you know he's got a recording studio with all kinds of bells and whistles in it and he Hull, does Hullbloods is my one of my favorite bands in this. Yeah, story. exactly. And there's so many layers of sounds. And it's really kind of his, in a way, it's like his project. Mm-hmm. And so I think technology has allowed people to create their own music and get it out there in a new way. Where other where people used to have to go to a, but you know, buy time at a recording studio and right. go in there, you know, right. go through that process. You don't have to do it that way now nowadays do you feel like there was a time when that changed was is it been a gradual thing or just yeah, suddenly you're noticing i, I think it's influx? happened over the last 15 years I okay really do. okay with with the whole rise in digital technology mm-hmm. you know what would you say i'm curious like 
is the number of submissions or artists reaching out to you? Or that's a different question. Do you go and track things down yourself or hear about them or are people sending you stuff? It's both. Um, I wish more people would send me stuff. But then again, at the same time, I do get stuff sent to me. That's real cryptic. You know, it's just like there's not enough information about it. Yeah. Like, like just tell us who's in your band, where you're from, who made your record, who produced it. Is it on a label? Just just the basics. Yeah. I mean, I love Bandcamp because it gives you liner notes, mm-hmm. uh, production, engineer, mastering. Mm-hmm. There's all that information there, but not always. Some bands leave it blank, you know? Right. It's like, take advantage of that opportunity. I love it when bands print their lyrics, you know? It's yeah. like, give me as much information as possible, and that will help me want to play your music all the more. It's almost like people don't want to have their music played on their radio, you know, because they put all these weird things that go up in between communicating about it. Mm-hmm. It's it's really a simple thing of, I got music, can you play it? Or here's yeah. my new stuff. Um, but there's a lot of submissions, I mean... I think this year alone, maybe we're close to 200 local releases at at least that we know about. Your end of year. So everybody, I don't think we mentioned this is the 16th year Wednesday midday medley, correct? Yeah, we're, we're, we're actually, we're actually kind of, we started in May of 2004. So we've done 16 years. So we're probably like working on our 17th year. And then when did you start your best of? this i started that in 2009 i started doing like i started with like a hundred was it at a hundred yeah and then and then i just sort of went from there 2011 i was like the 111 best songs of 2011 okay and i just sort of every year i just added another number to it so we're at 120 this year so this year we'll have 120 um best recordings of 2020 plus singles the singles will be a separate show okay We'll do a single show the week before. All mid-coastal releases? All mid-coastal releases. That's, I mean, that's just unbelievable. So we talked a little bit off air just a second ago, too, about like, you know, what's something the Kansas City music community needs? I think now I just want to change it to, like, if you were to give an artist submitting or a young artist or someone who's up and coming some advice as far as how to not just get their music played on your program or on the radio to be heard, to be seen, any thoughts on what they could do to get their name out there or get their art out there? Yeah, write a story about your band. Write a story about the record. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a band that I played last week called Blanky. Yeah. And their music is sort of Nick Cave influenced in a way. It's kind of distorted and dark. and mm-hmm. But they wrote really cool stories. And the band has evolved, too. And so they... The story that they wrote for their first album is different than the story for the second album because mm-hmm. it, it was a duo with the girlfriend and boyfriend. And I think they realized the dynamic of their relationship and also with a band can be challenging. So for the second album, it was more of just um, Anthony um, okay, and then other musicians that kind of came in. But, uh, but yeah, t- tell us the story of the band, where you're from, why you're making the music. Give have a few photographs available of of the band, so that people that want to play the music can use those photographs also to tell your story. Mm-hmm. Um, don't assume that nobody's going to listen to it, you know, because uh, people want to share the music and um, take advantage of 
what local media we do have, it's been dwindling. I mean, Mm -hmm. the print medium in Kansas City has shrunk with the the star doesn't really have a music writer anymore. And uh, I think the pitch has done their best to sort of pick up the slack. Mm -hmm. And Nick Spacek and and Aaron uh, Rhodes at the pitch have done a lot of good stuff. But they can't do it by themselves. And Thalia Fani at I Heart Local Music. Absolutely. That'd be a good person to have on your show sometime. Sure. She does so much work for mm-hmm. the music community in Lawrence, mm-hmm. you know, and and uh, Michelle Bacon through the Bridge website. But but we need more. We need more people writing about music and reviewing right. music. And, right. um, but artists can help do that, too. Artists can help tell their stories. I think you're so right. And by the way, I just read in the paper last night that the star press pavilion which was only built what you guys like 10 years ago they're they're moving out of that space wow it's not even going to be it's not going to be printed there they're looking for new offices because they'd already sold their other building but i think you've really touched on something is that there are some great great media outlets here and you've mentioned a couple of people i feel like you know the pitch especially in the last year has really stepped up in promoting local artists the bridge, obviously, Fally. I mean, she's a champion of so many artists. Moved to Kansas City, Fally. Get out of Lawrence. <laughs> but um, to your point, I do believe that a big part of it is is letting artists know you've got to promote yourself, and you don't necessarily need to have professional PR. You don't need to have a fancy video. You don't need to have. You, you can do a lot of this on your own. And when you you make the effort to reach out. Actually, your message and your art can go a lot further. It's really too bad, but it's almost like the same amount of work that you put into making the the music and the art. Yep. You have to put that same amount of effort into sharing it then. And it's really hard because bands have to do everything now. They have to be their own promoter, tour organizer, right? merchandise person. It's like right? so much work. And it might be too much, you know. That's, that's what we try to offer as a label. I do hear you, though, that many artists want to create art and that's that's it uh-huh. and, and the business side or the the uh the mundane stuff is just not really what they want to do but to rise above or to stand out you really do have to make that effort considering there's just so much music. you've talked about kansas city alone imagine that many local releases uh-huh. here take that with st louis take that with st joe take that with you know joplin wherever that's just one state right there's just crazy amounts of music coming out in this country. I know. I At the radio station, we get inundated with CDs, and then they separate those out to music programmers. So every week I get like two or three CDs from bands. I have no idea who they are. Around the country? Yeah, from around the country. Okay. Who, and they put a lot of work into their one sheet, yep. which is a great thing, and then their CD, mm-hmm. and, and then they had to make a cover for that CD and yep. do all that work to make it happen, and it's just amazing what what musicians do to put it all out there, right. and what clicks and what doesn't click, and what catches on and what doesn't, and how music gets broke. Radio used to break music, and now it's like TV commercials do, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. podcasts do, and mm-hmm. movies and television shows. Mm-hmm. It's like I got my song on, like, Yes You Are is a local band who's yeah, love had their music placed in Super Bowl commercials, mm-hmm. you know, and Kiana is like an amazing artist, mm-hmm. um, but it's 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 crazy business it's yeah. a really crazy yeah. business but she gets it chris you were at that uh lemonade show 
this summer when she presented some of her solo work. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, she's gone super solo creative, now. Super creative video. Um, love to see her continuing to create great music. She's been able to see the music business from a lot of perspectives. Oh, from Tilly and the Wall. You know, and she yeah. grew up best friends with Conor Oberst. You mm-hmm. know, he lived down the street from her. and Right. Uh, he was like, she was like the first band he signed to his music label, mm-hmm. you know, back in the day. And I don't know, we're lucky in Kansas City to have such a diverse, uh, you know, incredible breadth of musicians here and um, young and old and uh, of, of many different uh, backgrounds. And it just, I've watched it continue to grow. Yeah. You know, that's a Mark. That's a great way to I think wrap up our program because Kansas City is lucky to have you. We are so appreciative. There really, I've said this to many people. There would be no Center Cut Records without Mark Manning. Uh, and again, Mary and Mary and Ann Stewart. We've got some great Brenton Cook last week. You do so much to support. All those people are really beautiful, sweet people too. They yeah. really are. That you just mentioned. Well, you all kind of gravitate I mean, towards each other. So if, just, if, even if there was the no music, pot. there I would want to hang out with all those people. And, Definitely. And Brenton Cook is a great guy, and Definitely. I wish I wish he had a radio show. You know, he's a great DJ. Yeah, he took in and of himself. Chris and I are going to start crying here. Um, Chris Mowry, <laughs> thank you again for producing this spectacle. I think you two are ready to talk some theater when we're done here. Um, everybody, it's been a great program today. Hope you're all staying safe and healthy. We'll be back in another couple of weeks. Make sure to support all these great organizations we tried to mention today, including KKFI, including the community gardens here. Kansas City, stay safe, stay strong. Peace out.